Welcome to the Success Inspired Podcast, a business and personal development podcast to help you accomplish more in life and realize your true potential. And now here is your host, Vit Muller. Hello everybody, Vit here from Success Inspired Podcast again. My guest today is an expert fitness and hospitality business consultant, owner of multiple successful businesses and founder of leading business consultancy headquartered in Kuwait. His extensive project portfolio make him one of the most recognized fitness consultants. He is widely known as an international networker in the health and fitness industry. With a focus on turnkey solutions for fitness, leisure, sport and spa industry, him and his team have completed projects across Europe, the Middle East and Africa. Their collaborations touch almost every aspect of the lifestyle industry. This includes some of the world's leading brands in fitness and hospitality. Please welcome to the show, Yves Preisler. Hello, everyone. It's a pleasure to be here. Thank you, Vince. Great to have you on the show, Yves. Now, since I've already introduced you a little bit, uh, what's something that not many people know about you? Well, I think I'm a pretty open book. People know everything about me. I'm a straightforward guy. I say it as it is. As for my company philosophy, it's actor non verba, action not words. And if you have a question, you'll get the answer if you like it or not. I like it. Straight shooter. I like it. By the way, congratulations on your new new uh, fitness project, uh, Muay Thai Fit. How did that come about? That came about, I met on, on LinkedIn a fellow German-Greek gentleman named Tolly Makras, who approached me about a project he has started, a project with him. And we had a few Zoom collaboration calls and have then decided to do this project together and create an international franchise and have uh, developed Muay Thai 10 into Muay Thai Fit, which is now featuring uh, the 30-minute class Muay Thai 10. Muay Thai 20 is a 60-minute class and we have added uh, Flex and Relax class by Muay Thai Fit, making it a wholesome, affordable franchise in the likes of uh, F45 for an investment volume of 200, 250,000 with very nice EBITAs and uh, return on investments. We think it's the right time that the market needs um, combat and functional training combined, yet affordable and a little bit uh, cheaper than a Barry's or an Orange Fury, which you need half a million dollars for. Since fitness is growing and there are so many spaces available in malls and developments, uh, our 150 to 200 square meter franchise fits well. So you're combining functional element into this martial art type of training as well. Uh, exactly. The idea is to use the best of Muay fit without the combat and the bleeding noses yeah. and to combine it with functional, functional training. There is a, a big demand for combat sports, but not everyone wants to train three, four hours uh, full contact Muay Thai or Judo or whatever it might be. So we took uh, the elements of the striking and kicking into a fitness regime, combined it with standard functional training using dumbbells, kettlebells, plyo boxes. Uh, without any fixed machines of strength and cardio. So therefore, you need a space, you need a few boxing bags, you need 10 squares, and you do 10 rounds or 20 rounds of exercise combining Muay Thai and Functional in order to take part of uh, the mobility and the meditation aspect of Muay Thai fighters. We came up with Flex and Relax by Muay Thai Fit, which is a mobility yoga-inspired workout and it ends with a little bit of meditation and mindfulness. It's also perfect to get started into the fitness regime if you're not someone who 
wants to do any Muay Thai or touch any weights, you join those classes in order to transition yourself into a Muay Thai style training. I love it. This is great. You're basically covering all bases. It's, it's great for anybody who is just starting out, has a stressful job, not ready to take on the Muay Thai classes. They can start with that like a bit of a relaxation stuff, improve their mobility, and then delve into the functional training. That's a, that's a very good idea. And what I also like about it is that you combine, uh, obviously, with the Muay Thai aspect, that's where they get the cardio out of, and then with the functional training, that's the strength part, right? Um, this is great. I really like it. I mean, um, in, in comparison, not to compare, but I, just to, on the side note, I think um, I like it more than, for example, Orange Theory, um, just because um, I think they use treadmills for the cardio part, um, which is not that it's bad, but I think this is going to provide people a more... Uh, more variety uh, and and the business can has more flexibility with the programming if if the kicking and punching and all the other combos right it's, it certainly does and it's it, it's it's something something anyone can do because you pace yourself you use my zone heart rate monitoring and so you go by your own pace and in your own zone so if you are a newcomer to fitness you're still going to get a great workout within your zone if you are fit like yourself uh, you you go just a little bit harder because your heart rate will just take longer to climb. And we also believe that the Muay Thai Fit is, I think, the only boutique concept in the world which has a history. I mean, there's Muay Thai behind it. So if mm. people want to take it to the next level, uh, we partnered up and with the co-owning company, Elite Boxing, so you can go to the Muay Thai events. You can actually go to the real fight camp like Tiger Muay Thai or whatever if you're inspired to do so. And which other boutique fitness brand has um, a real connection to traditional history of sports? I think there's none. Orange Theory is an amazing concept, works. Uh, Barry's Bootcamp is an amazing concept, but these are new school fitness activities. Uh, we, were, we have combined an old traditional martial art and bring it to the masses. And people can explore its history while traveling to Thailand, by uh, attending Muay Thai events on global level. I think that will be attractive. Then combine it, of course, with the usual merchandise and everything else. So you can have your branded shorts, you can have all of that too. But it was for me important to create that story and uh, connect it to real Muay Thai, which we have done. That's, I mean, I, I looked at your website um, of the Muay Thai fit business. Um, it looks great. Um, so yeah, congrats. Well, well done. Um, I, I think this 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 might be a new trend in the industry, like more more martial arts type of training because. That, that hasn't really become mainstream yet. I mean, you have UFC gyms, sort of, they've got some classes, but I think mi that might be one of the trends, right? But before we talk about trends and talk about future of fitness, um, back to you. What, what compelled you to, to become a um, fitness and hospitality consultant? Well, uh, it happened rather naturally. I've done judo since the age of five until 25. I played a little bit of football. I wasn't good at it, but it was a fun team sport. And I started then frequenting gyms with the age of 16, going with a motorcycle to the gym and start training. So I enjoyed this environment and uh, completed my A-levels and uh, civil service, then start getting a little bit more interest in doing a very basic C lessons for fitness training over a weekend. Liked it. I said, okay, let's do some more. We licensed and then until personal trainer uh, diploma. Mm -hmm. And uh, not wanting to be a trainer all my life, uh, then went back to school again and did a business, uh, an administration degree in English and French uh, language, which then allowed me to travel uh, the world and, and speak the languages 
which I wanted to speak and then combine it with fitness, starting as a trainer, starting as a personal trainer in Alconish Club in Kuwait, training basically uh, the high society of Kuwait back in the day in that club. It was a $20 million club for 750 high rich Kuwaiti people and then uh, had three gyms in there, um, three squash courts, uh, two tennis courts and 500 meter beach. I progressed from personal training into the, being the health and fitness manager, stayed there four and a half years before um, getting uh, headhunted by uh, an, another individual from Kuwait. Uh, we then agreed to start a company for home personal training uh, in Kuwait, which was the first of its kind at that time, grew it to 10 to 12 trainers then ventured into Abu Dhabi and Dubai to grow it. And on the way I was asked, can you design gyms? I said, okay, I think so. You do a normal machine layout and then uh, it naturally progressed. Okay, the layout is not enough. You need to have a financial you know, system behind it and a ton of investment needs to be guaranteed to get into feasibilities, market studies. You start mm-hmm. meeting architecture uh, companies and interior designs. So you pick that knowledge up too. And then decided to solely build the company around being a turnkey solution company where investors can come and can have everything from a pre-concept to concept development and even to operation, including recruitment. Uh, Something like this does not exist a lot in the world, but people come and can have everything. You have often have fitness consultants being personal trainers who then uh, believe they can build such a business and work with equipment companies together who usually fill up your space with as much equipment as they can. And the personal trainer, of course, has great ideas and creating programs and the front part of it, but we have often the case where those businesses are financially not successful. And we combine all of this and make sure that uh, we start with that in mind. It's a business and uh, not a charity or just an activity. Mm. So we'll try to put it all together in a way where, you know, the invested money is returning uh, as per industry standards. Because i rather say if you have a million dollar, buy a building, and get get rent and have no headache, or build a gym and get real money. Or or buy into your franchise. Or that. When, if, you, if you just want to make money and you, you enjoy fitness and service, um, I think a franchise is a great tool to get um, the systems and uh, design support and have something which is already proven and working. Yep, and absolutely. then scale, then scale it. Absolutely, um, definitely. Like, there's so many aspects when it comes to developing a fitness club, right? Like, you really need to have that experience, have to have that knowledge of all the aspects. So, like you said, if you're just a personal trainer who is passionate about training, and you might be passionate about putting a few pieces of equipment on an open space, and thinking that's all there is to it, that it that no, that it it's not. Um, and the other thing is, um, what I like about this that you guys provide the turnkey solution because you know, oftentimes you can go to fitness fitness expos and and you've got all the providers there. You know, from fitness equipment to flooring to uh, business um, business consultancy, but it's kind of like bits and pieces, and then and then you kind of have to work with all these different providers to to assist you. Um, hoping that they will communicate together properly, which um, which might even add additional costs, right? So having it like turnkey, one company that does it everything and has that um, <clears throat> proven track record behind them, I think that makes perfect sense. We, we are consultants. We get paid by the client, not by the equipment provider. So we have uh, sometimes heated discussions with equipment provider. Why don't you take that? Why don't you put some more cardio? Because it's not needed. 
So the concept is that this is how it's going to work. This is the club capacity. So that I don't need 15 treadmills. I need 12. Mm. Obviously, not to the liking of the equipment company, but you're on the side of of the investor. You're responsible to to perform that it, that the business performs, and we have um, been successful in building performing businesses. That's why we work with additional hotel consultants who hire us to build certain parts of, of the hotel operations, which is fitness. But that's why we will be asked by different franchisees to look at things where there's an existing franchise system. Is that okay if you know the local market? Why don't you tell me about Saudi Arabia, about Kuwait, about Oman, about Qatar, if this is the right product for this market? We, we experience a lot in the Middle East that people bring over concepts from the States or from Europe, and they're not performing as well in the local society because they are not made for the local society. Mm. Starts from, from setup costs, how the entrance is done, what parking is there, what social media I use, how the trainers are dressing, and what's on the trainer's social media. I mean, it goes that far that you have to look, okay, who works in your business? If you work in a conservative place in Saudi Arabia, might not be uh, as appropriate to show up in a bikini on your social media. Not that you cannot, but you have to simply think what does this do to the society you're serving. Yeah, I mean, right. That we are really good at doing bespoke solutions with proper market research, with local contacts, interviewing local um, people about the concept we wanted to insert said would you go what service you would like to see and uh, helping in this way our client to offer exactly what the society wants not what we think looks good or sexy or just makes money I mean you have to have an uptake for that business right yeah and and the big part in there as well like you mentioned um, understanding the local cult culture right yeah. <clears throat> Now we are experts in the Middle East. That's sure. I mean, we have been there so long. I've been there myself since 2005. There's very little people who stay there that long, and I've also uh, the ability to connect to local society well. So I'm, I'm sitting with locals. My friends are locals, and I'm not a foreigner living in the country without understanding the culture, the language, and their behaviors. How much has the fitness uh, industry sort of changed from when you first um, started in Kuwait? back in, just say, 2005 to, to where it's now? Has it been a big progress? It's been a massive progress. For, for me, the most developed health and fitness market with the highest amount of spending on square meter must be Kuwait. The best gyms in the world, I think, are in Kuwait. So big demand. So, mm -hmm. There's a big demand. It's, it's still heavy on bodybuilding uh, in, in Kuwait and Saudi Arabia. Whereby Dubai is much more cosmopolitan and, and global-like with the franchises, with the boutique studios. But it has made a, a big leap forward also from people who want to work there, the talent available, the education available, uh, products available. It has just been growing and it's still there to grow. I mean, the most, the, most uh, the, the biggest market of the future I see in the Middle East is Saudi Arabia. Women can drive, women can now exercise, and it, it's, it's allowed to have female licensed gyms. And nothing much has been done. I think uh, operators and um, investors looking at it but it needs, again, local context to insert those brands, to find the right site, to find the right rental deals, and to also serve this population and educating the population to go to the gym. The market mm -hmm. is there, and people are aware because of social media, but attendance and penetration rates are nowhere near where they should be and could be. So there's still a lot of education and marketing to be done. What about the uh, fitness professionals? What level of fitness professionals are there? Is there is there a big gap? Is there a big demand, or are you finding it difficult to find those right you know quality trainers? 
Quality trainers in the world are difficult to find. We have a lot of rep counters and render friend. And that, that is a global issue. Obviously, um, recruiting for the UAE, uh, Dubai, Abu Dhabi, is relatively easy because it's a very Western lifestyle and it's, it's promoted for media and tourism. So we can find people relatively easy. And uh, Kuwait, uh, because we work there so long, we have so much knowledge about uh, local talent and international talent we, we can recruit. The challenge is still recruiting good people for Saudi Arabia because uh, it's just opening up and the culture um, is um, and often at times for Westerners difficult to understand. And it's, it's not as open, but it, I mean, it's a growing fitness market. It's a, it's a growing lifestyle market. So we often have conversations about going out and the availability of alcohol. That should not be the driver in the fitness market anyways, right? But we know that what's said and what's being done is often different. Mm -hmm. So we can always use good talent or whoever sees uh, this podcast and, and looks for uh, roles in the Middle East. They can visit our website or simply apply via jobs at eFpreisler.com. Mm -hmm. And uh, we can then facilitate a review of CVs, which suit the local market and we can uh, interview them for projects which are plenty available. I mean, we're we working um, with big brands, uh, we're working with uh, private investors. So there's always uh, jobs available in the times of uh, the current changes in the world. Why not apply and try something new? Now, what about uh, expectation in terms of salaries? Because, you know, when people mention Dubai, you know, mention Arabs, People think, okay, there's a lot of money there. Um, is the salary higher than than like? Is there a quite a higher um, reward for for good quality trainers there in Dubai and and in Kuwait? I would say, okay, it's not about the salary. It's what what can you save or what is there to for your own spending. Mm -hmm. uh, naturally, the, the salaries uh, might be higher or might be not be higher. What's the cost of living? Is the question to ask. Yeah. So. And that many people still come um, to the Middle East and, and think they get uh, red carpets and uh, get picked up with the Rolls Royce. That might happen, but uh, it's, it's, it is not as common. I mean, it's still hard work. It's still, uh, you have to be in there for making a difference in people's lives and you ultimately will earn money. Good personal trainers earn the same all over the world. Good boutique studio coaches earn the same all over the world. Are there good packages available? Yes. Are they plenty? No. Because simply uh, the supply and the demand has changed. There's more trainers available. But are these good trainers for everyone's projects will judge? And, but to come back to, to your questions, yes, we have good packages. And yes, we have normal packages. And yes, we have also average packages. You have to decide what you come there for. Are you paying off a student loan? Are you coming for an experience? Are you coming there to grow? Do you want to be a trainer forever? So that will then ultimately decide uh, what package you accept, but also what package is on offer. And what can you give the business? I mean, if you are a good cycling coach coming from Soul Cycle or Flywheel, and you can crank out six quality classes six days a week, well, you will make money, right? You get a base salary, you get the money per class and attendance, and you, you will make money. But if you come there and say, okay, I'm an amazing trainer, but I can only do two classes because I get tired, well, then you will make no money. Yeah, makes perfect sense. Now, what about a local workforce? Is there is there um, an interest from from locals to become fitness professionals? Is there a growing interest there as well? Yes, it has started uh, back in the day in Kuwait. Kuwait uh, Kuwaiti trainers are available, male and female. 
the same in Saudi Arabia, the same in, in the Emirates. And Emirates, it, I have not seen the growth so much, uh, but there are. I have seen a lot of trainers in Kuwait and the, the, the market is also growing in Saudi Arabia. Obviously. But it comes back that the local workforce uh, is changing and seeing now also the service industry is a nice uh, industry to work in. Right, so to, to to work with people and uh, to be a trainer or a cook uh, wouldn't have happened early 2000s. It was simply not something which people have seen, but it, this is definitely developing and also supported by Kuwaitization and Emiratization, Saudization, where uh, you have to have local uh, workforce on on your payroll. It has a certain percentage which you have to employ, and obviously you want to employ people who also work and not just there, right? Yeah. Did you have, uh, you have trainers, you have HR professionals, often the leadership, uh, CEO, CEO are now locals, but which is really nice because this is their country and everyone there is a guest and we are also there to educate the local uh, society to ultimately do the job themselves. What about uh, colleges, fitness colleges? Are they, are they good fitness colleges in Middle East? They're mainly uh, like branches of franchises or collaborations of, of US or Europe firms. Mm -hmm. There's companies in Dubai, there's companies in, in Saudi Arabia who, who have fitness academies. And they're maybe they're often offsprings of, of already existing academies. Uh, there's no such thing as local academies, whereby local language Arabic is definitely taught. Mm -hmm. Now, back to, back to you, back to your business. What were some of the toughest... Uh, the challenges that you, you've experienced while you were growing your business? That there's multiple. I mean, to, to, to work globally uh, in the beginning uh, was, of course, difficult because it was not as acceptable as it's the last year that Zoom calls and stuff are available. So you travel a lot. That can be a challenge with different time zones and multiple projects at the same time. Finding um, the right talent to work with uh, is, I think, it's a challenge for all businesses. Mm. committed people who have a lot of output and who have the knowledge required. I mean, to, to work for a company like us, you need to understand fitness. You need to have a passion about fitness. You should also look fit. I mean, I'm, I'm looking after this, that you don't just, you know, talk something you don't do. And um, loyalty uh, of, of, of employees, of course, is always an issue when you introduce them to a certain amount of clientele. Uh, people uh, might uh, start their own businesses, but that is the risk you always face. Mm. And uh, ultimately, um, what else, what would be a challenge? I mean, yeah, every challenge has a solution, so we'll start to tackle them. Yeah. Um, challenges I have faced in the past is having a lot of projects at the same time with tight deadlines and then deliverables, right? So we as consultants are usually always under pressure to deliver fast because of the knowledge and stuff needs to be made available. But uh, I think that's the fun thing about it, right? To, to, to be under pressure to do a lot of things at the same time. Okay, absolutely. Now, tell us about those moments when you started to see success in your consultancy and how did that, how did that impact your lifestyle? What is your lifestyle now? I mean, now you're su more successful than, than you were when you started, right? Yeah, of course. Like success is a, is, a, is a cycle. You build that up. I think it still applies that every good company needs 10 years to be really successful. Mm -hmm. There's really a shortcut in, in the service industry. So you have to build an audience and you have to build a portfolio. It is not a technology company where developing an app and sell it on. The application here is still the human, right? The human knowledge, the human touch and, and, and the network. So success has grown over the years um, with committing to what's been said. We like to uh, 
over the liver and the liver before time. Uh, I mentioned it earlier, uh, my motto of my life and my company is not words. I think there's a lot of talk in our space and all kinds of consultants, they tell you what you already know, right? In the language you understand and they charge for it. But delivering real value um, will then mean success. And this has grown as I also learned how to lead people, how to learn uh, about projects, how to learn what clients ultimately want to see and how they want to be dealt with. And then the presentation of, uh, of the product itself, right? You can do a simple Excel sheet or you can do an animation or you can do a video or you, however you present um, your product in order to showcase uh, your own capabilities, which then makes you successful if people say, okay, this was value for money. Yeah. And the other thing is managing a team, right? That's leadership. That's a whole another another thing as well, right? Like you might have all the technical knowledge. You might have all the connections. Um, you've been in the industry for a while. and But now, like you said, you get in all these projects that you have to do maybe even at the same time. That means managing people in your team to do it. How, how has the leadership evolved in your case during those years? Well, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty the same guy I always was, right? I mean, I, I, I demand action. I, I can be impatient, uh, often not uh, too much into detail, but I'll find the detail if I need to. Mm. Uh, I structured my team uh, with little employees and a lot of contractors and a lot of third-party network, trusted network I use. I feel and uh, more confident with this way, with, with expecting uh, services from other people to deliver to my company rather than employing people on, 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 on fixed, um, fixed income and salaries, which we know that employees um, can fail and, of course, also often deliver. However, attendance for eight hours is different than having a scope of work where you need output for eight hours. I do I put projects together in a way where I work with third parties uh, who deliver a scope of work to me, whereby I deliver a scope of work to the client. And they ultimately have to perform in order to to receive contractual payments, which ultimately do not fail because they're contractually regulated. Uh, whereby with employees, they, they they might function on a day well, and another day they have something else. Mm. Uh, with consultants and third-party companies, this does not happen because they are a company too, and they can uh, use other resources if certain employees are not available or are not up for the job. Yeah, that's an interesting takeaway. So yeah, I mean... In a way, it makes sense. I mean, if you if you have a somebody on a salary and they just get in an hourly pay, um, there is more uh, risk involved with with the output um, delivered, right? So it is a it is actually an interesting, effective strategy. Uh, strategies by the sound of it, having the external companies contracting with you, and then it makes it a bit more easy as well because you don't have to deal with the people in, in those companies. You just deal with the, the big boss there and, and they say, look, this is what's going on, right? <laughs> yeah, but I also deal with, with people who have their single companies with one or two people mm-hmm. and, and then deliver a service. And uh, I use the same people since, since a long time and I, I, I try it here and there are new people, but I, I have trusted, uh, a trusted network which performs. Yeah. And in, in, in this way, when I, when I take scopes on, on board, I do not always ask if they are happy to or able to do it. I know they can do it. I know what it costs. I outsource it and it gets done. It ultimately comes back to me who is spinning the plates, put it all together. Of course, I'm responsible for their output because I validate and send it to the client. Mm-hmm. But I, in, the, in, in today's world, everyone wants to be a CEO and a founder of a company. So they're all welcome to the marketplace, right? 
I mean, here's the marketplace. Take responsibility for the work you offer. And having a T-shirt printing press at home doesn't make you a CEO of a T-shirt printing company. It makes you a founder of a one-man show who sells T-shirts. And <laughs> uh, that is quite quite interesting part, um, which I enjoy and also which you see when people um, contract other people and then see what is the actual output of that company which is registered there. Yeah. They, there's, a, there's a website, there's Instagram following. That doesn't mean there's any output. Yeah. So the, the output comes from a, from a functioning uh, team of employees or third, third parties. It does not necessarily come from a good social media channel. It does not come from what's being said. It comes from what's being done. Acton and Weber. Oh, I really liked it. That's what it is all about, right? And th that's what people pay for. They know what they, they, what they get with us. I mean, they contract us, their job will be done no matter what. Mm -hmm. Now... Handling all these projects, managing successful consultancy business, dealing with all these people, that is uh, obviously a lot of workload for yourself as well and can be stressful. How do you manage um, your personal well-being? I know you said you've done you know, judo back, back then in the, when you were younger. Um, what are the type of workouts that you like to do? How often do you train? How do you manage all that? Well, it comes back to, um, to a routine. I, I'm a very uh, routinized person. I wake up 4.15, 4.30 in the morning, get out of bed, have some coffee, uh, usually read something, scan the most important emails, and I go to the gym at 6.30. Do a normal split routine, very old school, chest and triceps, uh, shoulders and legs, 15, 12, 10, 8, not too much variety to it. During that time, uh, during warm-up and cardio, I choose to listen to Blinkist and uh, listen to some audiobooks and some advice and then change to music later when there's um, weights to be lifted. So I take care of my body and mind at the same time and uh, not just listen to music and, and do not use the time effectively. Yeah. Do the first round of, of office from 8.30 to like 12.00, 12.30, come home, eat my lunch, and uh, I often nap for half an hour, 45 minutes before getting up and have another cup of coffee and then do the second round of office. The days uh, fairly blend in with the weekend. Every day is Monday. If there's work to do, we do work. If I feel I want to have a day off on a Wednesday, I'll take the day off and don't book anything. It's very fluid. I don't believe in work-life balance. It's work-life integration. When you work on global level and the weekend in the Middle East is Friday, Saturday, and the weekend everywhere else is Saturday, Sunday, which day is off? Friday, you work with uh, Europe, and the uh, Middle East is off. Saturday is uh, like a half day in the, in the Middle East, and in Europe, so people still will contact you, and you still might get asked to attend a phone call. And Sunday is the first day of the week in the Middle East, and uh, Sunday is a day off in Europe. So it comes back to self-balancing your life, and I really love what I do, so I don't feel I'm working. Yeah. Now, somebody listening to this, they might be like, but hang on a minute, I've got a wife, I've got kids, so that's a bit different, <laughs> right? Sure, but life is a choice. I don't have a wife, I don't have kids, I have two dogs, and I, I set up my, my environment in a way that uh, certain tasks are done by other people. I mean, I have always someone who takes care of the house, of my laundry, or cooks a bit, and so I don't have to do those things, which uh, often is, is either shared between uh, parents, right? Mm. And they, they use time to do that. I don't use any time to do that. I employ someone because I can make money, more money in that time. This has been done to pay a worker for doing this. 
And um, there's a gardener who takes care of the garden, so I have a wonderful place around me, but I don't have to maintain it. And um, yeah, I don't have kids, I have two dogs, and uh, you feed them, you play with them, and they're good to go. They don't need to go to school, they don't have any questions, they don't want to go on a holiday with you. So my setup of life uh, supports my, my, my business and my success because I've chosen different things than what other people have chosen. Absolutely. And it, obviously, everybody's got their own level of happiness and, and what they enjoy doing. So um, each to their own. Now, you now live in Nairobi. Is that right? I live in Nairobi, Kenya, yes. But you're originally from Germany. Yeah. You don't miss Germany? I was there the last four months, right? I flew out of here of the last flight, uh, end of March to Germany. And then had no way of coming back, and because the current the global situation, yeah. I enjoy Germany for what it is. Uh, I'm, I'm glad that I grew up there. Uh, very fortunate to have a German passport, to be traveling freely, to have German education, to have been taught to be on time every time, and to deliver what you say. But living in Germany um, forever, I don't think is an option. I, I like the challenges to, to live abroad. I like to meet different people. I like the challenges of different cultures. Also, it sometimes drives me insane, but uh, that's the fun about it, right? To be somewhere um, new, but I also like to go to places where there's no one um, who does what I do. When I came to Kuwait, uh, there were not many qualified personal trainers, so I went there. You went And by yourself? Yeah, by myself, yeah, yeah. I went by myself. I was living in Spain briefly. I was living in Ireland uh, briefly and then moved from Ireland to Kuwait. Mm -hmm. Stayed 10 years in Kuwait and uh, the last uh, two years of the 10 years I had an apartment in Dubai and Kuwait before then moving full-time to Dubai for five years and then one and a half years I'm already here in Kenya, Nairobi with frequent travels to the Middle East. Mm -hmm. Now, why, why Nairobi? Is that another area that you're looking at, you know, entering the fitness market, doing some, some consultancy work or is it just because you like the place? No, we have been hired to start uh, a budget gym chain over here. Okay. which we have started successfully uh, opened the first budget uh, gym here in Nairobi and uh, we, we built it we sold it out and uh, the contract finished in, in April the company will continue by itself and we will be doing what we're doing everywhere build fitness facilities deliver uh, returns of investment to potential investors I see a huge scope here for affordable fitness and for premium fitness because here's Affordable fitness sold for a premium price. Very basic gyms start at $100 a month. The average gym is between $60 to $80 and offers uh, very little service and very basic fit out. Mm. And uh, we have a scope here to start a fitness school and academy because no one is doing fitness education. Yep. The equipment suppliers and distributors are here, but not necessarily as strong as in Europe or the Middle East. So we can help them get into the market. And I think we can build here um, a great fitness scene over East Africa and then branch out and in the middle of Africa. I mean, it's a massive continent with a lot of people. The uh, population is forever growing and it's a very young population. Uh, the median salaries are growing. So I think it's the right time to offer a very well-priced, good fitness product in order to be successful. And obviously, we can go into data collection of all those names, numbers, and emails using fitness uh, memberships, right? Uh, you give uh, freely your data there. So mm. we can then start working with health insurances. We can start working with supplement providers. I mean, the opportunity in Africa are endless. 
it is hard work. Many people do not understand the continent. They say, okay, Africa, but where we start? Uh, that is the fun thing about it, right? To, to, to lay here the, the foundation for big players to come. Sounds like a, the secret recipe here in a way to your success, if I'm correct. Sounds like the entry to a new emerging market, less developed market has been in a way the, the success behind this, isn't it? Yeah, it can be like a, that is one part of the success. I mean, every success comes back to one thing, deliver what you say you're going to deliver and, and create value for people that are happy to pay. Mm -hmm. And that is in a simple way in a non-developed market, people do not want, know what to expect. So you can offer any product and it should be value, right? But if you're then good in what you're doing and deliver more than that, uh, that is the key to success. And I think that's also part of my success. I mean, we're looking now at places like Pakistan. Uh, we have sold fitness equipment to Syria, where people say, Syria, the war is just finished. Yeah, it's finished. So people need fitness equipment, right? So four entire kitted out gyms have been sold there. So it, it's moving. Wow. Very interesting. Very interesting. Yeah. Now, um, <clears throat> we're all humans. No one is perfect. What are you not very good at, Yves? Detail, like uh, I, I can miss detail uh, in, in, in certain contexts, right? I do not like uh, to read very long contracts uh, in, in, in lawyer English. Mm. So I'm not good at that, but I'm, I'm getting better at it or I employ someone to help me with it. I think this is what it is. And, and sometimes I could be a little bit more empathetic with, with, my, with my employees or contractors to understand where they come from and what they uh, feel like. That is not something I'm very often interested in because I'm so, so results driven and um, so adamant to succeed that those emotional sides sometimes, uh, you know, stays on the way behind. So the takeaway point I'm getting here is, and that's, I've, we've heard it many times, when you run a business, focus on what you're good at and delegate the rest. Makes sense. Exactly. Don't try to um, make your weakness uh, your strength. They will never be. Try to manage them somehow. And, and, and I, I choose not to deal with them too much. I have other people deal with this part of the business and help me. Whereby uh, I still want to understand, but I'm not trying to get any good at it because it's a waste of time. I can focus on what I'm good at and enjoy what I'm doing and be good at that, what I'm good at. Absolutely. Now, if what do you wish you had known when you when you um you know decided to enter fitness industry and started your business you could go back uh, look you would have uh, definitely looked more into boutique fitness and how it's going to explode and how functional training becomes a big craze right i'm still myself training bodybuilding because this is how i grew up but uh, to to have new uh, that everything is heading into community would have been a good thing uh, to become the leader in online fitness early 2000 would have been a good thing, seeing what has happened now. I mean, uh, to create an equipment brand early 2000 would have been a good thing. We've seen the market growing. I mean, there's many things, but ultimately you can't go back. You can only look uh, what could be the next big fitness trend and, and trying to predict it. What do you think that will be? 
combat combat fitness i mean to take the best out of combat sports and, and and put it into a fitness industry you see it like what we have done with muay thai fit floyd mayweather did a fitness franchise that, that, that whole boxing spaces of, of like one rebel or whatever brands doing boxing classes are fairly busy because uh, people see it's a good workout it, it helps you uh, you know in, 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 with confidence it helps you with uh, anger management i would say whatever reasons people do do it they, they, they want to fight and they but they don't want to fight with people but maybe with themselves and push themselves a little bit harder and i think it's fairly interesting how speed power agility uh, can be incorporated in, in fitness industry and in, in routines and obviously the trend will be to invest more and more invest uh, less and less in fixtures and fittings i mean a treadmill five thousand to ten thousand dollar what else can you do with that mm. and this asset is depreciating gets thrown away but uh, return on investments are very much the same if i do a boxing class or if i do a cycling class whereby the boxing bag might last longer than a cycle and does need very little maintenance absolutely i think you also touched on an interesting thing with the, you know, the, the word confidence and, and people actually like wanting to do things like Muay Thai class because it does boost co confidence. We know that. Um, do you think maybe, maybe even like when it comes, like talk about more broad, like a, a trend keyword, maybe personal development will become a thing as a trend in the industry, like a reason why people start to, like maybe people will start looking at these fitness services for the purpose of improving their like themselves not just from the fitness perspective but also develop as to be a better human being like like improving confidence i can't tell like for me um i need to sidetrack you seeing all those life coaches and mindfulness coaches and combining of a fitness for me is uh, is no good I mean, we, I'm not a psychiatrist, I'm a fitness trainer or coach, whatever you want to be. If mm. you have uh, emotional issues and want to build up confidence and let's go back to your childhood or past, why that is. Fitness can do a certain thing but to change body image for confidence. It can potentially give you a good way to increase your punching power and where you potentially could do something with it. But that cannot be all mixed and uh, meditation and mindfulness and, and and wanting to be that doctor kind of thing where people take it. No, I no, don't no. Agree with it. I don't agree with it. Not to be the the provider of the solution, more like you know uh, the way it's going to be marketed. Maybe like it could be that that it's more marketed towards explaining the benefits from the personal development level it can do. Like, for example, you know, back in the days, like it used to be very, you know, building that six pack, you know, summer's coming, building that six pack summer body, very, uh, like a, you know, aesthetic goal. So literally just looking on the outside, but didn't really dig in on like what it will do for you. But now I think, you know, many people who might be very overweight um it's a difficult thing to take on uh, an exercise program right and one of the things i find you know when i'm doing uh, sales calls is what works is trying to like ask the right questions like what will that allow you to do like making people realize that it's not just yeah you need to lose weight but there's a bigger meaning behind it like if you lose weight you're going to feel better you're going to finally do things that you maybe weren't able to do. Do you know what I mean? 
I agree with you that. I mean, uh, the age-old uh, retention problem comes from the wrong sale, right? You should be selling something, actually fitness, something everyone wants, but no one wants to do. You're a trainer yeah. yourself of a background, right? How many training programs have you written or been asked for at parties, I want to lose weight, and they've never been done? So we, we surely have a lot of marketing and explaining to do what fitness does for you. The only thing you keep all your life is one thing, is your body. That's how we should start with. So how we treat our body, what, what we put into our body, uh, how we sleep, how we move, right? Fitness is one part. I would like to say it's one hour a day. What happens the other 23 hours is also important. Let's look at, a little, look at it wholesomely and, and, and let's give the different um, parts of the day to different experts where we, where we as fitness, we, we can say, okay, it will definitely make you move better, preserves your body, you sleep better, you can certainly do things. And the aesthetic part will always be a part of it in, in the age of social media. We cannot put it away. So you can also talk about that, but let's be realistic. There's no six pack in six weeks. And we should not sell that anymore, right? We should sell health, well-being, movement, and safety and fun in fitness clubs. Yeah. And this is what boutique fitness has done. They put people together into fun classes. Uh, it's not so bright. There's not too much mirrors. And people can exercise in a group and can be people and exercise for the heck of exercising, not for bloody looking good. Yeah. Whereby our old school approach of people above 30, we still want to look good because we have been sold that vanity. And there's nothing wrong with it, right? But uh, obviously the, the membership demographics we're now approaching are heavily uh, overweight. They have heavily issues with, uh, with, with coordination. I mean, everyone is good hand-eye coordination on the phone. <laughs> so uh, I think this conversation is good for another full uh, podcast episode where we come how we educate our children because this is where sport starts yeah right? i told you I, I have started with the age of five doing judo so i've i've done uh, strength training i've done speed power agility training i've, I've been the smallest guy in the room and uh, enjoy competing with older people and you got educated on that mat because for a big mouth you got nothing so and i think that is what needs to be brought back in how we sell fitness what it does and that is the journey from young age because of our sedentary lifestyles, because the way we choose to live, right, to make it part of your daily life. And that starts in a very young age. It's already too late when we sell them fitness memberships. It's just start much earlier. Absolutely. Talking about this, we could, we could go on um, and we could also talk about, you know, other aspects when it comes to future of fitness, like tech, um, technology and all that. Um, there are some really exciting things, by the way. I, I've, I've seen um, this week, uh, it just popped up. And it was an advertisement in my Facebook. It was basically an online fitness, a virtual personal trainer. And basically, I switched on my camera on my laptop and they gave me a demo. The camera was able to see and analyze exactly my joints, my bones and my body. I had to step away so it would see the camera. I would be in a full view. And then there was a simple exercise like, you know, raising one knee, balancing on one knee or doing squats. And it gave me a real feedback saying, you're not going low enough. You know, you need to, you know, get your knees out, get a better angle. It was very interesting uh, and uh, in a way uh, interesting, but also in a way a bit scary um, when you see the possibility. I'm, I'm really, I wonder what that future is going to look like. 
it depends. Like uh, fitness is still, you still got to do it. So it doesn't matter what app is there. You're still going to go out of your comfort zone and move and, and do a little bit more than you, than you think you're capable of in order to force your body to adapt. So whatever comes, you need to be encouraged to do just that. Yeah. And uh, of course, there's the mirror. Uh, there is all those interactive applications. But can they entice you to do it? Once, twice, or ten times? Is it interesting enough to keep going? And are the reasons enough to keep going? That's what right. we need to ask ourselves. How can we engage people to do this continuously and not just selling them another thing? So the muscle will only be adapted only for one thing, resistance and overload. Yep. Your heart, uh, your cardio system, you need to challenge it. So you need to get your pulse about a certain count. So it's, it's, it's a basic. It comes back to whatever it is, you have to do those things. If those new technologies or new equipment can do that, they will be welcome to the market and stay there. What I think, what always has been there is a bench, a dumbbell, a treadmill, and that's there. I mean, it's been started since the Gold's Gym, you know, Venice Beach, it's there. And it's in some form or shape, everywhere it's there. So why, what are we trying to do? Like, of course, we make, make it fancy, we make it nice, we make it technology, we make it expensive, or we make it cheap, we scale it. But are we asking ourselves the question, what is the end user going through? They're going through pain because they're not fit. And that we need to have enough um, enticement and enough... Um, then the bill has to be there to do it again and again, no matter what product there is. Yeah. And I think human interaction is still important and current wind is still important, camaraderie is still important, and we will not stay at home to just exercise by ourselves. Only the motivated people will. These are the same people who are in your gym and you switch off the light, the AC, and don't clean the bathrooms. There's 10% of the people, they always will be there. We don't have to worry about them. Let's worry about the 90% and how we can commit them to exercise and a healthy lifestyle long-term. Whatever this may look like, let it be what it is, but it needs to do that. That's it. I think I think it's in a human nature though, you know, like we like to evolve. We always look at, okay, the improvement of something, whether it's, you know, a way of, of delivering fitness, motivating somebody, you know, doing an exercise program. Maybe this technological thing, is that it's you know the gamification giving people an opportunity to play a computer game at home but now also exercise maybe that's something that might help that you know that portion of the market or that portion of people who were who who grow up playing computer games and they're just sitting there they're not doing anything they would never think of going into the gym maybe this is something that might be more enticing to them we'll see it'll be very interesting to uh see what you know having that conversation maybe in 10 years time will be like wow okay <laughs> look look with it esports is there to grow esports can be a form of fitness i mean people playing on their controllers their heart rate goes up put a belt around them their heart rate goes up so mm. esports is some form of fitness let it be mental fitness let it be coordination i don't know how you want to name it it should be recognized And I think we can do more with it than now with the virtual reality classes and the, uh, all the stuff. This will come. It's, it's not there just yet because it doesn't function so well, but obviously you now see cameras assessing bodies and stuff. It's going in the right direction. Whatever rocks anyone's boat and makes them move. That's it. Right? That's but it. We are the, the generation in between. We are not digital natives. We got our first mobile with the age of, I don't know, 
18. So we didn't grow up with that device. Yeah. The, non, the new generation did. So we need to find a way how to put fitness into this device and then get them to do it. That's it. That's it. Yeah. Now, if we could go on, but um, I do like to keep it to an hour. So maybe, like you said, maybe um, we'll leave it for another episode where we talk more fitness specific. Um, for anybody listening, um, how can people find you? Um, maybe a gym might be looking for some 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 help. Um, if they want to contact you, what is the details? The best way to contact me is uh, via my personal email address, eve.eveprisler.com, via my LinkedIn profile, via our website. I mean, we are easy to be found. Uh, you will not see as marketing. You will not see any ads from us. We, we simply don't do that. We work by uh, referral and by uh, the client finding us only. But uh, we are there. I mean, Google my name and you will find me. Or contact yourself and you can, of course, give those details further. Absolutely. Now, for those of you guys listening, thank you for listening. I'm going to put all these details in the show notes, so don't worry. Um, and like I said, we um, you can contact me if, if you want to talk to me. What I like about this is what you said. You don't do much marketing. You just rely on good referrals. So that sort of really ties everything together with what you said at the start. Act on verba. Actions. Less talking, more actions. And when you do that, when you deliver... Uh, people will remember it and then they refer you. So, any and that applies for any business. Referral, referral, referral marketing is still one of the best way to to get more business. It's it's cheap, doesn't cost you anything, and it just challenges your integrity and delivery of what you promise you deliver. So that's good. Absolutely, absolutely, that works for any area in your life. Just do what you say you're gonna do. And uh, things will just happen. Excellent. Awesome. Well, if great talking to you. You have a great rest of your day in Nairobi. I'm going to wrap it up over here in, um, in Canberra at 7 p.m. It is my birthday today, actually, as well. So I better better go and celebrate. <laughs> so happy birthday, Vid. And thank you for being part of, uh, of this podcast and this special day for you as well. So we want you to do 100 push-ups at the end of the podcast and then you can switch on. <laughs> All right, chillin' Jack said.